What's up guys, it's Ross from Athlete Strength Conditioning and this is our second episode of the Athlete Podcast talking all things AFL and coaching with our special guest in Austin Stubbs. So a little bit of a background about Austin. So he's been fortunate enough to work in the AFL and the AFLW and the VFLW as an assistant coach alongside his work with multiple different clubs across different leagues in Victoria um, at senior footy. He also has his business in AFLHP, so feel free to check that out on social media. And I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. So you've coached all athletes and uh, footballers at all levels. What do you think is the main difference you found in their abilities? Is it their strength and conditioning? Is it their skills? Is it all the above? Is it game sense? What, what have you found, in your opinion, to be the biggest difference? I think the strength and conditioning is definitely uh, more advanced depending on the program that the player is in. So they get more exposure, like a tack cut player, for example, uh, sorry, a NAB league player is more exposed to strength and conditioning and exercise sports sciences, et cetera, uh, through the program they're in. So they have the money compared to like local footballers. Um, and that's the same at the AFL compared to local and um, even the VFL guys, they're generally pretty fit and stuff, but you got full-time staff at AFL clubs. So that's, a significant um, difference in between the levels, but in regards to, uh, excuse me, in regards to the acquisition of, um, of skill, I found that ground balls, uh, clean hands, um, and the execution of skill. And to break that down, so at local footy and women's football uh, at all levels and junior footy, the ball's on the ground a lot more, and that's because players aren't as good at. Uh, collecting the ball off the ground and then also being uh, able to catch the ball when the ball is being received to them. So they're, and then they don't have as much time to execute skill when they do gain possession and control it because they've generally fumbled the ball or they can't take it uh, cleanly. Part of it also is uh, the sometimes skill execution, even uh, they, they might have caught it well, but the execution of skill is not that great. And I find that that can be a range of, um, of technique, of like that's part of the skill, but decision-making, I, I believe that a lot of players uh, compared to especially the AFL level is their ability to scan. So like uh, make decisions according to their surroundings and they generally have been able to look in multiple directions and scan around them um, before they receive the ball. So in soccer, there's a study done over in uh, England and it was taken for a whole uh, season in the, um, in the top competition over there in the Premier League and the best players in the world scan 10, um, sorry, seven times every 10 seconds. And so Bappe, who doesn't play in that competition, but he actually scans seven times um, every 10 seconds. So he's looking around and he looks seven times around him before he takes possession of the ball. And that allows him to make better decisions according to his surroundings because he knows where everything is as soon as he takes it. So he has a really clean first touch and he's got lots of time to make decisions and quick ones. So I believe that's the difference is the ability to be clean with the ball, but then also the ability to scan their surroundings and then make decisions according to, to their surroundings and, and good execution of skill. So with the whole scanning side of things, do you bring that down to training at a higher level? Do you think that's to do with their training or do you think a lot of it's got to do with genetically they're able to think quicker and uh, in that type of thing? Or do you think it's more to do with training at such a high level for whatever they do, seven times a week, six times a week and playing at that high level, you're just going to get 
naturally better at that and think quicker. What do you think about that? Fine. Um, where play, people can get lost about this topic is, is they can't distinguish uh, skill from ability. So skill is something that like will progress over time. You adapt to a skill, like you'll learn how to type. You don't have that as um, it's not genetically given to you, or you'll learn how to kick a ball. Uh, compared to ability, is something that's genetically um, transferred. So, for example, height, size, um, your like how strong you are, your ability to be powerful. Um, and, and dynamic, like good agility, that's that's generally um, a, a transferable through genes. Would you agree with that with your uh, your sports science um, degree, Ross? Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic because, like, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Though genetics is almost like it's almost like that that famous word potential. You know, potential gets thrown around a fair bit, but what is potential? What is genetics if you don't work for it? I guess um, it does mean a, a lot in regards to working. So athlete A might have better genetics and might be a fast, fast twitch fiber athlete compared to player B. Um, but like you said, genetics, if player B, you know, continue has the best strength and conditioning has the best diet. Um, he might not be able to get to play A, but generally it's the skill, like you've said, um, through proper coaching and proper training always beats the genetics. Um, in a game like footy anyway. It's very rare that uh, there are a few exceptions, obviously, but it is very rare where an AFL player got to the AFL and they didn't work hard or they were lazy. So that's my perspective on it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So that's where um, I find that like the players that are, the, the what also differenti- uh, differentiates level is that ability to like work hard as well on those are, uh, those types of attributes, but also the uh, the strategy. So exactly the way they train. So yeah, conditioning like um, and strength and conditioning, it's partially is genetically developed, but also it's it's work working hard as well. But the quality of training changes due to better coaches, better resources, better equipment, etc. And uh, I find that they train situations more, and um, that enhances the decision making and they teach technique in the context of making the decision. So you, at the AFL level, you don't see many drills like lane work kicking as what you see at local level, that's constant. And yeah, you're executing technique, but you're not actually executing skill because skill to execute skill, you need a component of decision making as well. And you make decisions um, in the game according to your surroundings. And I find that a lot of the AFL training is you're always making decisions. And you only, if whenever you teach technique, you always got to teach, all right, this is the decision you'd make to use this, execute this technique, to execute this skill. You need to make a decision first, then the technique. And I find that, um, yeah, the strategy is, uh, is wasted at training at community levels because uh, the, probably the right stuff isn't always trained. That's um, a priority. Like, you know, lane work kicking, straight line kicking doesn't really happen that often or five-star handball. Like, you know, you never use, follow that pattern in a game yet. There's, you know, 80 stoppages a game at local footy and yet you are, you never train them. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a critical element of the game. It's a 50, 50 ball. You know, if you get better at that and you win more of those, the ball goes like your way. So I find that the, the strategy and the training is much better at the better levels because this has been analyzed and that generally the people that do get these jobs have studied this. So they have that, that research, they've done research in it or they've been educated about these areas of the game that are really important. And that's what, um, differentiates and distinguishes like the level of um, ability between players because they're 
they're uh, educated more about strategy, but also about um, they've been encouraged to execute and perform skill uh, much better than compared to the players at the lower level. But a part of it is also genetically as well with our ability in regard to, you know, your attributes that you are uh, developed from such as like height, weight, strength, conditioning, um, sprinting, endurance, running, et cetera. It all, it all boils down to specificity at the end of the day, being specific to the sport and specific to, you know, your team and, and all that jazz. Like there's still, I can't believe at even local footy level, how many teams prepare their players and have their preseason like their marathon athletes rather than footballers. Like there has to be an element of specificity and um, you've hit the nail on the head with so many stoppages and generally at every single footy club, you know, probably you're looking at 30% of the session, maybe some even more as lane work kicking and um, with no, with no game kind of pressure, no, no specificity because you don't get that in a game. Yeah, Dean Ladley was really fascinating. Like going back to my previous experiences, he, uh, I worked under like a few coaches that were regarded as great local football coaches or AFL players. And I really liked some of the things that those coaches did. Like every coach does generally something good and something really bad. But what I liked about Dean Ladley is he uh, introduced like um, strategies to situations and that he, uh, he wanted the team to be really good at, at executing certain types of strategies, strategies in uh, the situations that uh, there were common encounters and that players would face during a game. and uh, Everyone would be on the same page when that happened. And I found that the players adapted into, uh, as a team, they united much better and were able to execute the game plan because it was really clear and everyone was understand understood their role inside the situations that they uh, they faced compared to other times where it's like oh yeah like we're um we're executing skill training oh, sorry executing technique at training we're not executing skill and this doesn't actually simulate the way we play so when we get out there we're not really familiar with what we're trying to do because we don't actually have an opportunity to familiarize ourselves with the game plan because we don't train it if you understand that yeah yeah so coaching footy players at all these different levels, whether it's local footy, junior footy, uh, senior football, um, VFL, AFL, what have you found to be the biggest difference in the communication from coach to athlete? Find at the community level, the coach has so many other tasks and responsibilities that they don't get the opportunity to uh, create relationships with players, which... When you give feedback, I personally find that someone will always respect feedback, whether it's positive or negative from someone they know because they value them as a person compared to someone you don't really know or like, yeah, they've got responsibility because they're the leader of the club, but I have to listen to them, but I probably still don't agree with what they say or I might not even listen to it or value it because, yeah, I don't really know what they've done. I don't really know who they are. I don't know what they stand for. And I find that's where you get a lot more time to be able to make that, those relationships. But a really good footy program will support the coach by setting up a lot of other staff around them to be able to, um, so they can take those responsibilities that the coach probably shouldn't have to handle. So then they can uh, value, make these relationships with players. And to bring that down another level again, break it down again, is find men, they, uh, they have to perform to build feel valued as women generally have to feel valued before they will perform. And uh, 
when you when you give feedback to a bloke, um, like a male, they especially as an adult, um, they generally, like I said, they they won't value the feedback if you don't really get to know them. Um, but you've got to make them own their own feedback. I reckon men sort of like they just want to get things done. They want to know it all. Like a lot of blokes when they, uh, you know, buy stuff, they don't read the instructions. They just want to be able to figure it out themselves. And if you can get them to own their own feedback, then it's really, really, um, it's a really good way to communicate and giving them apply feedback. So for example, you could say, um, uh, it's like asking them um, a question, say, hey, Ross, if I, instead of saying, hey, Ross, need to fix your kick, mate, and just giving it to them um, and telling them what the cues are, they might not want that feedback. But if, you, if I said to you, Hey Ross, if I could tell you a better way to improve your kicking technique, would you be open to hearing what I've got to say? You probably feel obligated to like to hear it and you're intrigued because I haven't told you what it is yet. And I'm asking you if you want to, if you want to hear it. And uh, I think people value being asked first. And uh, I reckon that that's a really good way to communicate to everyone. But I find that works really effectively with men as women generally want to just be taught everything. They want to know all the details and the more time you spend with women, um, getting to know them as well, but also just teaching them as much as you can about the game. It's really, they really value that and they value you being open and honest and communicating with them. But uh, the other underlying factor I find with communicating with players across all the levels is that uh, the, the best coaches tend to be really direct with their feedback and honest. They don't ramble on. It's clear, precise, possibly sometimes written down, but it's always communicated face-to-face -face first. And there, the feedback is relevant to where the player's goal is. So it's goal-directed. It's not just feedback for the sake of it. They're trying to improve them towards something that's either to the benefit of the team or the benefit of the athlete. So again, it boils down to, and similar in the strength and conditioning world, world it's not necessarily what you say, it's probably how you say it. Would that be the case? Yeah, yeah. How you say it and where it's coming from is probably where I would, uh, yeah, put it in context too. So uh, to break down just what I said again is, is make people own their own feedback if you can by asking the question about if they want to hear it generally and then until they value your opinion, you can probably express it more. Women probably like to feel valued before they perform as men want to, you know, prove themselves before they perform. And then um, also is... is uh, generally being direct, honest, giving the feedback face-to-face -face first, and it's got to be goal-directed towards where they're trying to go as a person or as a team. So definitely like where it's coming from, what's the purpose to it, and, uh, and how you say it, not necessarily what you say exactly. So what does a, what does a day at, at an AFL club look like? What is a training day for Essendon Football Club? What do they do on a day? Uh, so on a day um, back at Bombers, we would have a uh, would get into work. For example, this is um, for me as an analyst doing opposition analysis. So I'd get into work. Um, generally, I'd ask coaches if they need anything to help out um, other coaches and and see if they need help with anything they've got on for later that day or that week, so I can help them prepare for stuff because they're really busy. Um, and the more time that I can. Um, help them with say a presentation or some um, analyzing some vision to help give players feedback etc coming up with strategy whatever it is more time they can spend with the players to create relationships because they're the ones giving the players feedback so i would um 
I would tend to be doing that or I'd be uh, focusing on the opposition myself and uh, analysing um, yeah, individuals of other teams and how they influence the game, et cetera. That was uh, specifically my role. And then after that, they would, um, would have a meeting at about 8.30. So I'd be in the club around 7, 7.30. At 8.30, we generally have a meeting quarter past eight about training as the coaches. Then the players come in afterwards and uh, we go over the purpose to the session, what we're training, um, strength and conditioning also tell what their, their uh, plans are for the session. Then we go out, you get about 20 minutes to get your taping done. If you haven't done it already before training, um, get everything ready, get changed, whatever you need to do. Then we train. Um, it will be like, depending on the loads of the session, it could be a really hard session, a lighter one. So that also influences whether what the coaches train as well as um, what this uh, high performance staff can, um, can do as well. So it could be like, you know, high heavy loads of sprints, lots of matching, or it could be like a really light day, you know, um, more technique focus, bit of craft, um, executing skills, not heavy loads on the legs, slow runs, um, et cetera. After that, yeah, uh, go in, shower up, have lunch. Um, so for example, for me, I'll be inside, um, I'd probably be like getting all the vision of training. Um, so the video and I would, uh, cause it's always filmed and I would, code that so I'd uh, always put it into um, all the drills separated and then give that send that out to the coaches so the coaches can you know try and uh, look at the drills and uh, give feedback to players and analyze it themselves then you are then after that you're looking at um, yeah your lunch and then it's generally meetings in the day later on so there's uh, coaches meeting every few couple of days and then there's playing meeting as well um, so there might be like a stoppage meeting or uh, or a line meeting, so forwards, backs, mids, et cetera. And then uh, the players will um, will go to their meetings. They have a bit of free time. They might have um, they might have half an hour of free time, and then they do rotations with, with the sports psych or with the uh, with the strength and conditioning staff, or they they got their half an hour of free time. You know, might be catch up with the coach or go and have a coffee, do whatever you want. You know, do a bit of extra touch, et cetera, and then. Um, and then they finish for the day. And for, for example, for me in that situation when the players are doing that, if I'm not with the coaches um, running a meeting, I am looking at the opposition and I'm watching games and trying to pick apart their uh, their strategy and uh, figure out what they're trying to do and then figuring out ways how we can exploit their strategy with our game plan ourselves. Yes, that's, in a nutshell, it's not a bad uh, lifestyle to be an AFL player. You get looked after pretty well. Yeah, yeah, very looked after the players. Yeah, those are, yeah, there's a few of the boys there that are, they almost take it for granted, but no, they're pretty good. Yeah. So when, when you're working with those players um, and even with other coaches working alongside so much personnel, especially before coronavirus and before the, um, the cuts and stuff to salaries and, and staff, how do you, because there's always going to be personality clashes and people, you might get along with and you might not get along with. How do you deal with that within the players and within the staff? Yeah, I think um, pretty interesting because like it's a high performing environment. Things are uh, a lot of decisions are made quickly. You know, we've got quick turnarounds between games, a lot of pressure, media in the industry. Uh, yeah, you got to you got to perform the whole time and be on your game. So I find that when people are under pressure, they're um, they're due to 
to make decisions that could uh, could be like raging or um, they might feel overwhelmed, so they feel a bit stressed, etc. Just uh, just brings a bit more out of people, and, and sometimes they don't really mean it. So you got to be real careful and, and be like very empath- and empathetic in the industry. I find um, so getting to like really know everyone and um, being um, being on the same page, like being really aligned to what the club stands for, sticking to the values, supporting each other, helping each other out building those relationships so that when someone is stressed and that you're able to read it because you spend a lot more time with them. Um, so find that uh, probably something in like hindsight with my time at the Western Bulldogs, I really valued relationships. I felt that I made an effort with a lot of people and got to know them, used to speak to them on the phone, message them, just stuff like that. Not even about footy though, just about like whatever. Um, and then at Essendon, I probably didn't do that as well as, as what I would have liked um, in hindsight, which was, um, it's like, it's pretty important. And found that with the coaches I did uh, to some um, some extent, like I work with them all the time. So that was pretty important. But some of the players that didn't get that opportunity as, as much because I didn't always get to work with them. Sometimes I'd be tied up doing the opposition analysis. So I think it's just really important, like in any program, working environment you're in, just value that relationship. And then when you do give each other feedback or, someone's stressing out you're able to be like empathetic and um show empathy read read what they are uh, how they're feeling and what they're going through and um you know be supportive as as much as you can and they'll be supportive towards you yeah definitely some, some good points there um you've obviously i've worked with any listeners out there i've i've worked with austin in the past um it was one of the coaches of mine um in the past at senior football um, and he's one of the better coaches I've had in his ability to create drills. So I'll be interested in, in knowing the answer to this. So what are your, when you're creating a drill, what are you actually thought? What's your thought process? Is it to do with, again, bring it down to specificity with the team structure and individuals, or is it, um, can you just have that natural ability to think on the fly and um, work and, and kind of generalize things a bit, or is it, everything individualized to players or how do you think and what's the thought process when you're creating these footy drills? So it's got to be purposeful to what you're trying to achieve goal directed. Um, there's, there's got to be a reason for why you're doing it. Um, excuse me. So to, uh, for example, I worked under Clinton Young at the Simon Black Academy and also Gisborne footy club. And when I was, uh, as a student at the Simon Black Academy, and some days um, when he knew I was there to develop myself as a coach more than a player, he would say, hey, Austin, you're running training today. It starts in five minutes. And I would just have to come up with a session on the fly. And I was so green. I made so many mistakes, but I like, learned so much from it. I find that generally when I'm training and things don't go to plan for et cetera, you know, it might be weather conditions or uh, whatever, personnel, not as many bikes rock up to training, et cetera, at local footy, I'm always able to adapt and uh, – create drills on, on the fly and um, but it's always you know uh, I always reassure the players it's towards a purpose and even uh, even if the drill isn't working you know you've got to be able to come up with it like it, it's um, an easier way to do it or if they're cruising you know you've got to find a better way to do it as well make it more challenging so I think it's got to be goal directed as well but uh, to break down a philosophy of um, creating drills uh, I find that um Generally, drills are repetitive and mindless activity, and you should 
generally try and teach situations um, and ideas and then present players with uh, problems and then provide them guidelines to solving the problem. And the problem should always be tactical. So, for example, it's a two-on-three. Sorry, it's a three-on-two. Two defenders versus three attackers. Um, de defenders start with a ball. Um, attackers, um, they might pass the ball just to the attackers. Attackers are suddenly got to make decisions. Now, you go, that could be a drill. You've got to create a strategy behind it. And that's what the, the drill is. So you're trying to execute strategy in a situation the players will encounter. And that's how I create my drills. There's always, one, it's purposeful, two, it's related to the game plan, and uh, three, it's um, there's a strategy you're, you're trying to execute within that drill. And the the drills have to be also directed to the, uh, the athlete's goals as well. So it's got to be... Um, it's got to be outcome focused towards what what are the athletes trying to improve? For example, player A, um, his main might be Josh. Okay, Josh is trying to improve their ability to play one on one. You want to be able to figure out ways where you can improve them um, to when one when they're defending, they're out of position. All right, what's their what's their decision making? How can you improve their techniques to be able to defend better, but also to and for them in attack as well. So that's like, it's got to be related to the goals of what the athlete's trying to achieve at the end of the year. So if you're creating a drill for one individual or a few individual athletes, it's like, all right, what are they all trying to work on? How can I create this drill so it's relevant to all those players and what they're trying to work on? Hopefully it's, they're all trying to work on the same thing. And then you can um, go, all right, guys, like, well, girls, you know, this is what we're, uh, it's what we're doing today. It's um, relating to your your development program because it's it's uh, purposeful towards what we're trying to achieve for you guys, for you um, as players individually. Are you are you always thinking about all these things? Is it because there is a long process? Are you always thinking about these things, or is it just come naturally now where um, it is a long process, but you can process this a lot quicker than when you started? Probably, yeah, definitely over time now I can process a lot more uh, quickly. I found that I slowly, the more footy I watch, the more, um, the more I learn about good decision-making and, and what good decisions are. I first focused on technique. I thought that was more important when I first got into coaching. So I spent my first probably few years on uh, technique breakdown and I learned a lot about different techniques and still know a lot about it now and I've definitely improved that knowledge but decision making I've realised is more important so um, and then through Essendon with the opposition analysis I learned all about strategy I watched a lot of footy still there's a lot of guys better than me my manager um, at Essendon was phenomenal um, Ben Rutman like Carousel, a few of the other, James Kelly, a few of the other guys I worked off um, and under were terrific. Mark Harvey, they, and they taught me a lot about strategy as well. So when I found I was working full-time in footy, I'd always be thinking about strategy and, um, and, and how, to, uh, how to implement that at clubs and what's the best fit for each type of team. Um, and then also I find that when I'm watching footy, I'm always trying to pick things up. And I um, always analyse like what teams are trying to do to improve my own um, mind and my own skill set about game plans and things. But when I go out and service the clubs and uh, educate um, coaches about game plans and et cetera, not only do I teach them how to like, implement it, I always teach them uh, yeah, about the game plan and then create it all for them so they can present it to players um, through uh, PowerPoint presentations, et cetera. 
And I uh, show examples of it with like vision from AFL teams of um, executing certain types of strategies that they might use. And I find that uh, that's also like a, a really good tool as well. So I'm, I'm thinking about it a lot and I try to, in my social life, I just try like avoid footy and et cetera. And because it's, uh, it's always on my mind with my work, you know, university and also, uh, yeah, also like any other coaching role I've got sort of outside of my business. Yeah, it, is, it definitely is a lot to think about. Um, even as a player, you know, we're processing a lot of thoughts, let alone a coach. They're probably, you can times that and multiply that by 10. So there is definitely a lot to think about um, as a coach. But we might skip uh, the talk about the elite level and we'll bring it back to local footy uh, at the moment. So I want to hear from yourself. What are your top three uh, local competitions in Victoria? Yeah, I find that my time in the Eastern Football League, I was only in the Division um, 2 level, so they got like a Premier premier Division now, which used to be Division 1, and that's that was always a really good level of footy, I felt, when I saw that. And the uh, really, really rate the VAFA, um, the top-level VAFA, I think that's a pretty good competition as well. Uh, the uh, top Geelong League is also pretty good quality there too. I find that the um, the EDFL is probably not quite there at those levels. It could be wrong, but yeah, definitely um, definitely the top VAFA, top Eastern Football League and um, and yeah, the uh, the Geelong levels, yeah, got really good quality for you. So we just, so what would be your number one, number two, and number three out of those three leagues? What yeah, would you say? Eastern, VAFA and um, and definitely the Geelong League. But I think that if the Eastern and uh, if, if all those competitions combined the best players into um, one, one level, like one league, and um, so like they all have multiple divisions, if they just put them in like one division one, for example, and you had all the best players on the same teams, I reckon that the VAFA would probably win just because it's got the most players um, of all those companies competitions from my understanding so just more teams you know more opportunity for better players but definitely would say that the eastern football league's division like premier division is probably the best yeah and there really are some powerhouses like uh vermont i think how many premierships have vermont won in the last five or ten years they've they've been a pretty big powerhouse. A couple at least i'm mate to harman singh who's uh who's been their coach the last few years and he's a really good operator and he's uh, helped set up that club to be super successful and they've probably been the best side at local 40 for the last few years across the country and um, they're, they're pretty competitive with even VFL sides. I think they've done some prackies against VFL teams and they've um, they've been competitive against them and only lost by a couple of goals sometimes. Yeah, Because you do get those sides... Um... For example, Deer Park, I think they've won the last seven, there's a six or seven premierships in the row they've won. Um, but really, if if they had if they had a statewide competition of all the premiership winners per year, um, it would be, I think it would be interesting to see how a Deer Park would go against the Vermont or how a, um, a St. Mary's in the Geelong Footy League would go against Vermont's and Deer Parks and all the premiership contenders, that that would be quite interesting. Um, that'd be a great competition, wouldn't it? I reckon that'd be an awesome idea, local footy, like a, you know, the best challenge of the premiership sides. I 
when I was a junior at Bridgewater Footy Club, just moved from Morong down to Bridgewater down the road and got a lot of mates there still. And they uh, won, I think, seven flags in a row. And then they lost the grand final the, uh, the next year and ended their um, their streak. And they were coached by a couple of guys, but um, I think Mark Lindsay might have won one premiership at the end when I was uh, coming up out of the juniors. And then Andrew Collins was there for a few years, who was a former Richmond and Carlton footballer. And they were an absolute powerhouse side at local level. They could have gone to the Bendigo League and been a really good um, side because the Benny Ali was um, it's a better quality competition than Lodden Valley. But yeah, I, I always felt like that that was a team that probably should have challenged in a competition like that. Um, they had so many good players like Andy Collins had just come out of the AFL and he was um, he was a star in that comp and he's in the Benny League now and he's still in the top sort of three to five plays. Yeah. So bringing it back to AFL now, just before we wrap up, give us a quick premiership tip and a Brownlow tip for this year. Premiership tips are really hard. Scoring's lower this year, well, clearly because of the uh, the ability of um, teams to be able to defend for longer with um, like a, at a higher level because of um, the reduced time. And, and scoring's got less every every year in the AFL uh, for the last three or four years. It's a few hundred points less each year. So find that teams that uh, move the ball quick generally will. Um, Will, and the teams that defend the best will win. I don't think a team that moves the ball slow is going to win the premiership. I think that, yeah, quick ball movement side and also a team that uh, that defends really well will uh, will win the flag. So at this stage, Collingwood's looking like they move, they're pretty flary with the ball at the moment. I find when they, um, they're, they're looking pretty strong. I feel like that, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll probably go pretty far. I think without um, hopefully no more injuries come through, but yeah, yeah, I reckon the pies just just due to that philosophy of mine. Pick for my smoky for that as well is Essendon too. I um, and that's not being biased, so I genuinely believe that um, they're really capable of of something this year too. Yeah. Well, I was looking at the ladder um, just before, and there's still there's still one game less, and um, definitely watching them as well. They probably did lack in the midfield, um, but including uh, Dylan Schill over the past couple of seasons now, and he's really added a bit more flair in that midfield because they did look, they did seem a little bit um, defensive heavy. It kind of looked like with Hurley and, and Hooker, there was a fair bit of a load um, on those two players, and and Hooker they've tried to go forward, and um, he's a fantastic player, Kyle Hooker, but um, it's almost like that. Generally, with clubs, the spine's the hardest to get right. I think their spine was okay, when, especially when Joey Danaher was fit and firing, but they've always lacked in that midfield. I thought, like, with depth, I think they've got... Um, they had good quality midfielders, but they just didn't have the, the support if one got injured or one went down. Um, but now it's... Um, it really is at the engine room, like, a few weeks ago against the Pies. That, you know, they really tore the Pies up in that midfield. Yeah, yeah, they, they did really well in that game. I was pretty impressed. Thought that they moved the ball really quick and midfield was uh, really good. They've, without giving anything away, I'm still, um, even though I'm not employed at the club anymore, I am still loyal to uh, some of the people there. We've got good relationships with a few of the guys. But I, I definitely um, will say that they've got a lot of guys who can run through the midfield, which makes them a... 
team that can have uh, guys like with fresh legs running through the midfield. I think they've got a lot of guys that are capable of uh, rolling through there, which gives them variety and options. So reckon that, um, yeah, they might have been struggling there in recent years, um, especially like with the rest of the players on the spine, but they've had the improvements of like, I reckon Jordan Ridley's season to date has been, um, he's one of the better defenders, you know, phenomenal backs probably, yeah, in the AFL, he's starring. He's absolutely, a bloke. absolutely um, phenomenal. His season's been so far, Jordan Ridley. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's superb. Like Braden Ham's just improving by the game. Um, Mason Redman, I reckon's a really good, um, promising player. Also, um, the likes of like Kyle Langford's improving and, uh, he's, he's starting to become like a bit of a weapon, I think for him. So they've got some, um, yeah, just got some guys that are like starting to improve. Like Mitch Hibbert's been drafted out of Williamstown. Um, bloody great fellow, Mitch. And he's uh, he was one of the best players in the VFL last year and he came off North Melbourne's um, list and he's playing uh, for Essendon just the last two games. He had 19 disposals on the weekend. Um, so he's um, showing like um, promising signs there as well. So they've got, they got a few guys that are still in the team that are pretty handy players too. So I reckon... Um, yeah, I reckon they're a really good outfit, the Bombers. I think that they're a lot of people have probably underrated them um, coming into the season, but they're looking looking pretty good. They they look consistent though. That that's the thing. And even um, as young as he is, Andy McGrath, you know, I don't think I've seen in that draft with uh, with Hugh McGluggage is also playing um, some really good football at the Lions at the moment. But I don't think I've seen a number one draft pick over three or four seasons so consistent. He always plays his role. Um, Never plays a bad guy. I have rarely seen him play a stinker. I don't think he's played one off the top of my memory. Um, he's just super consistent. Um, and just to have that consistency from such a such a young player as well um, would provide a lot to the side. Yeah, I really liked Pidge. He's a great guy as well for anyone wondering. Super, um, yeah, like humble person that's carrying that. But he's uh, it's part of what makes him a good player. I reckon he's a great bloke. But he's... His consistency at levels like been really good for a long time. He's got the ability and um, to play multiple positions as well. He's also a really good ball user. Um, doesn't waste the footy. Like I, I could be wrong, but I wouldn't say he's a he's an elite kick. But I would say that he's very reliable, efficient, and consistent. He doesn't uh, rarely butcher the footy. He makes decisions according to his capabilities and. Um, he's capable of a lot. So, but yeah, he's a, he's a terrific player. He's having a really good year. I think that he's going to be one of the better midfielders in the competition over the next few years. He's um, yeah. Like getting him into the midfield um, this year, he's uh, he's really shown leaps and bounds and um, definitely improvement, but I reckon he was probably already capable of that last year even. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely was. Um, anyway, thank you very much, Austin. There you have it guys. It's, one of the masterminds working in football at the moment. Um, make sure to check out his business on Facebook and Instagram, AFLHP. Um, before we go, would you like to mention uh, your podcast coming out soon, Off the Bench? Yeah, so I've got a, a podcast um, with a company called Holistic Athletic Development, um, which we're aligning together just to produce our own um, podcast. It's all about footy and um, coaching and 
uh, about how to develop yourself as not only a player but as a, a coach as well. So um, it's all, all fully related. Um, so off the bench, it's, yeah, with AFL HP coaching holistic athletic development. Um, so that'll be out in start of August. So feel free to um, jump on that. But this is um, this is also an awesome podcast, and I definitely recommend listening to athlete um, strength and conditioning's um, yeah podcast here with Ross. I think that. He's got lots of good information to provide through um, his experiences and he's doing an awesome master's degree at the moment, um, which is uh, sort of really highly regarded in especially the AFL industry. Um, so I think he's got a lot of good information to provide too across all sports. Much appreciated, Austin. And any guys listening, feel free to subscribe and follow our accounts. It's at Athlete SC. Um, also feel free to visit our websites um, and Google us, so Athlete Strength and Conditioning. Um, there you have it, guys. Our very second episode of the Athlete Podcast with our special guest, Austin Stubbs.